You're listening to Differentiated with Ben Silverman, where investment research analysts dive into insider data and demystify the signals that drive one-of-a-kind investment ideas. Welcome to Differentiated. I'm your host, Ben Silverman. On today's program, we'll be talking with Verity Data Senior Analyst Ali Raja about why and how investors should track equity gifts by insiders. Do insiders send a signal when they gift shares to third parties? We'll also examine how bank insiders reacted to the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank. On the second episode of Differentiated, we looked at how the SEC was changing Rule 10b-5-1 and what that change would mean for insiders, companies, and investors. One of the rule changes that went into effect recently as part of that sweeping overhaul of Rule 10b-5-1 actually had nothing to do with Rule 10b-5-1. Instead, it had to do with how insiders report gifts of stock. Today to discuss the new rules around insiders and gift disclosures is Verity Data Senior Analyst Ali Raja. Welcome to the program, Ali. Thanks for having me, Ben. So, Ali, there was this change, and it, it sort of flew under the radar a bit because it was part of this wider package of regulatory changes. So let's talk about gifts and the change in how insiders disclose them. Prior to the rule change, what was the requirement for insiders in reporting gifts of stock? Prior to the rule change, insiders could report gifts 45 days after the fiscal year. So an example of that would be an insider who gift shares on January 2, for instance, 2022. They would not have to report the gift until mid-February of 2023. So 45 days after a fiscal close of December, for instance. That's a long lag. And that, that was, correct me if I'm wrong, that is the only transaction type that had that type of lag. Is that correct? Correct. Yes. So these would be reported historically on Form 5s instead of Form 4s. So that is another part of the big SEC change that is impacting gifts. So now insiders have to report gifts on Form 4s instead. And for those of you who don't know, and probably that's a lot of people, Form 5s look exactly like Form 4s, and they're actually used largely to report late transactions. Say somebody forgot to report a transaction. A Form 5 can be used up to 45 days of the following year to do that. Now, with gifts, I think the reason why they weren't being reported in a timely manner and was never required was because the SEC didn't want to burden individuals. And the way they also did it was, if you didn't report it on a Form 5, you could just report it on a Form 4 later on if you did another transaction. So perhaps somebody gifted shares in May, and in September they sold stock. They might report the stock sale as required and then also tack the gift reporting on there. So, Ali, what is the new rule, uh, which went into effect, I believe, recently? Is that correct? Yeah, it went into effect on April 1st, 2023. So this new rule forces insiders to disclose gifts on Form 4s instead. And with that, they have the same disclosure requirement as far as that lag. So it's two business days, which is the same lag that you'd have for an insider who purchases or sells their own stock. Why did they do this? This is a, you know, if you think about it in the regulatory landscape, it's a small change. But if you're somebody who gifted stock regularly or, you know, even occasionally or somebody who prepared the Form 4s, this is a pretty big change because all of a sudden the cadence of the requirement changes. So why did they make this change? They made this change because they found that insiders were 
being opportunistic with gifting shares. They cited two academic studies that examined the history of insiders gifting shares. And in both cases, they found that insiders were unusually timely with their gifts. Moreover, that also included the idea that insiders were also backdating gifts as well. So an example of that be is, you know, you gift shares to your own personal foundation for tax purposes, and you are actually picking a date that is generating more value for you. And so obviously with, you know, the long lag time that insiders were previously able to report their gifts, you know, changing that makes it so it's pretty much you're not able to, to backdate it. And to be clear, backdating is an illegal practice. So they were back, I'm assuming the backdating was for tax purposes because when they would report later on, report the gift to the IRS and they were able to cherry pick their date to be most tax advantageous. Is that correct? Correct. And so, you know, I think we should also note insiders gift shares to create an offset for their taxes. To be specific, it's you're offsetting your taxable income. The more value you gift, the more you're offsetting your taxable income. And obviously everyone, you know, is being generous and gifting shares, but at the same time, there is a benefit to them as far as offsetting that taxable income, reducing that at the end of the year, they're paying less taxes. So long story short, the more value you gift, the greater value you generate in saving on taxes. Should we assume that all gifts are opportunistic or are some people actually just philanthropic in the moment, regardless of the stock price? I mean, I'm sure it goes both ways. I mean, there's plenty of insiders who are, you know, have huge philanthropic initiatives and goals and targets and are gifting hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars in stock. So in that case, you you might have situations where they're being a lot more price agnostic and they're just thinking about the charity and where the money's going, for instance. And also, we've so far talked about insiders gifting to charities, but you, you know, a lot of gifts are actually going to family members, for instance, or trusts. And so unlike gifting to a charity, you don't have that tax shield that you're creating when you're gifting to your kids, for instance. So, you know, there's no, there's no reason to be opportunistic when you're, you know, gifting some shares to your kids. And in that case, you know, the insider's likely going to be agnostic in that case. What are some examples of some well-timed gifts that you've uh, recognized within this data set? One example would be uh, director Frederick Wilson at Coinbase. Wilson is a partner at Union Square Ventures, which was a pre-IPO investor at Coinbase. He's never sold stock for his own behalf, although he did report a sale for Union Square. But he did gift shares twice in 2021, and in both cases that proved to be pretty timely. Uh, August 2021 and November 2021. You know, the stock at this time was above $260 in both cases. And now the stock is under $100. So it ended up proving very timely for him. And in that situation, it might be something where as a partner of the venture capital firm, he received proceeds from a sale of shares by his firm and was looking for a tax offset there. Now, that's just the theory, but isn't that potentially what happened there? Yeah, I mean, in this case, he was distributed shares from the the VC uh, entity. And so, yeah, that is a case where he gains quite a bit of value and is looking to, you know, offset some tax liability there. Is there another example that you can think of? Yeah, another example would be at um, Beyond Meat. So director Ned Siegel, who was actually the uh, former CFO of Twitter. Now, same case, Mr. Siegel has never sold shares. He did buy shares once. but he's gifted shares twice, uh, once in 2020 and once in 2021. 
and in both cases, the average price is about $100. And you know, again, this is a stock that trades under $20 now. Now, the CEO of Beyond Meat has also done some timely gifts. But um, you know, if you know that stock well, I mean, anything that was a disposal in the first uh, couple of years of that stock is looks very timely now. So um, chalk it up as a, a, another good case of you know disposing of shares ahead of a major slide in that stock. For investors, what do they want to be looking for? Because it certainly sounds like one thing to look for, you know, would be board members who are potentially giving large gifts but haven't sold before. Is that something to look for? And what else would we want to look for? Yeah, I mean, you know, similar to when we look at um, insider behaviors, broadly speaking, whether it's buying or selling, you know, it's going to be similar here for gifting shares, looking at whether they're deviating behavior against what their history is. Because some insiders might gift shares pretty often. And so it's one of those things to look at, you know, what is the history of this particular insider? Also looking at how the stock is trading as well, what kind of momentum it has. Thank you, Ali, for your insights and insider gift giving. I think this is a reminder that the SEC is undergoing a period right now where they're changing a lot of the regulations around uh, insiders and especially around the disclosures. Some of the Rule 10b-5 changes that we discussed in Episode 2 actually relate to how insiders can behave with gifts and some of the other things. It's merely about disclosures, which is transparency for investors, which is something that can give investors the edge. Yeah, exactly, Ben. The SEC, when they made this final ruling, they pretty much said that they need to make this change because investors would want to see these disclosures. There's information advantage in these sort of disclosures. These two academic studies that the SEC cited showed that insiders are being opportunistic and and there's good valuation signals coming from this data of gifts. Well, thank you for your insights, Ali. It's been a pleasure having you. Thanks for having me. These are the kind of changes that might not seem big, but again, if you employ it in an investment process that is looking on the sort of on, on all these, you know, we, we talk about having edge, but you look on the edges to be differentiated. And the reason you do that is because if everybody has fundamental data and everybody has the same kind of commoditized data that is out there on financial websites and that a lot of sell side uh, analysts provide, you know, you really need to start looking in these sort of more obscure places for valuation signals. The initial fallout of the Silicon Valley bank collapse hit regional bank stocks hard. Investors keyed in on held to maturity assets and unrealized losses. Many of the regional banks pushed back, issuing statements saying everything was fine, that they had prepared for such a thing, or that they didn't have the type of exposure that should lead to massive revaluations lower for their stocks. Executives and directors of these companies responded not just with press releases, but also by buying their own stocks. Beginning March 9th, which was the date that Silicon Valley Bank started to collapse, and through the end of the month, insiders at more than 200 banks bought shares of their own companies. The buying was largely contained to small and mid-cap regional banks. This was the most active period for insider buying at banks and in the wider financial sector since March 2020, which, as we all know, was the pandemic drawdown of the market. While there was much broader base buying during the great financial crisis, the August 2011 credit rating crisis, and the January 2016 drawdown in financials, the step up by insiders was meaningful. They were sending a message that they believed that the fallout from the Silicon Valley bank collapse would be contained, that this would not be another 
broader problem for financial industry. Again, that remains to be seen. But what's important for investors is to know that insiders were willing to put their own skin in the game. They were willing to step up and buy. Whether it's at larger companies like Charles Schwab and Fifth Third Bank, or smaller companies like Stifle Financial and Colin Frost Bankers, or even really small companies like Bankwell Financial Group and Coastal Financial, insiders stepped up and bought. And this is what you want to see on a pullback like this. The insiders at these companies were sending a message that they understood the risks inherent in their businesses, even if one of their peers ignored their own risks. What's important for investors to understand is the history of bank insiders. They have consistently stepped up and bought stock during drawdowns like this, whether it is macro-oriented or whether it's hitting just their sector. And that's good. That's what we want to see. That's a strong signal. That is people running businesses, putting their own money back in the business. That also means that in the near term, they're going to forego the type of liquidity they might normally generate by selling their stock-based compensation. Understanding the history of how insiders behave is what can give investors a differentiated edge. This episode of Differentiated with Ben Silverman was brought to you by Verity. Verity designs software that helps over 360 asset managers discover one-of-a-kind insights, streamline research workflows, and manage fund research productively. To learn more or begin a free trial, visit verityplatform.com. This episode of Differentiated with Ben Silverman was edited, mixed, and scored by Calvin Marty.